25 episode 18 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. My name is Kimmy. I'm, I'm not Pooja. I'm not Stu's dogs. Yeah. <laughs> and those <laughs> of you who are listening to the podcast and not watching live will never know what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just having a really strong sense of deja vu. Yeah. <laughs> totally professional. In this episode of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, Mogens from Denmark writes in about random character generation and standard arrays. Dirk writes in about campaign structure, and Ben from Tex- Texas asks, is deadliness in the game really about perception? Ooh. But first, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. We have a forum. Yes. Happyjacksforum.com. That's happyjacksforum.com. And then we have the social meteors. We have the Twitters and the Facebooks and... The, the Instagrams and the MeWees, Happy Jacks RPG, all one word. Happy Jacks RPG, all one word. word. If you'd like to watch the show live, you can go to happyjacks.org/live and watch us and see our faces. Yeah. Although, why anybody would really want to do that? I don't know. Hey, yeah. I have a great face. Yeah. Amy has yeah, a great face. Great. It totally balances out a, how terrible you are. I have a great face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> Great face for podcasting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, also, if you would like to go to wherever it is you get your podcast from and leave us a review, we would love for you to do that. Yeah. It increases. What do they call? What's the term for that? Discovery. Reach. It increases discovery. Yes. So go ahead and leave a review. Yeah. Um, a bunch of you did it after our, our the last episode where we talked about it, and it, it you can already see spikes in like the charts and where we are. Not that I'm the only person who's really like studying that a lot, but it helps a lot. So do the thing. Um, it's especially important in the new year, and the new year is when a lot of people discover new podcasts because they get new devices and they want to find stuff. So having a bunch of new reviews is a very, very helpful thing for our discovery right. in the new year. And I'd like to shout out to Germany for discovering us. Thank you. Your mic yeah. just stopped working again. Oh. Okay. Hit the button again. Okay, is it better now? No. no. Keep, t- keep talking. Okay, never mind. Just don't worry Now it's about fine. Okay, <laughs> now it's fine. That's very strange. Yeah. Um, something might Germany, wrong. thank you for discovering us. We like you. Yes. So, yeah, there's a bunch of... Uh, we've been noticing, we've been getting notifications that we're suddenly, like, bumping up in the charts in a bunch of different places around the world, yep. and Mexico, and Germany, and France, and a bunch of stuff. So, hello! Hello, France. Bonjour. <laughs> My countrymen. <Sorry. laughs> Well, we had friends. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Just yeah. Until just then. Yeah. Sorry. Ruined. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm na- from California. I speak Valley Girl. That's my other language. Just, I'm just hitting up. <laughs> Pay my respects. Well, there's a city <laughs> called Venables in, in northern France. That's nice. And the, the, a bunch of people there are named Venables. And that's where my name originally had an S at the end of it. Oh. And a lot of them look a little bit like me. I'm sorry. Venables? <laughs> I don't mean that as an insult. Maybe Venables. that's how they're discovering us. They're like Googling their own names and they're finding you. Maybe. It could be. Bonjour. <laughs> we love you. Please don't go away. They just went away. Yeah. As did all the French Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> random versus standard. Pff, random versus standard array character generation from Mogens in Denmark. Denmark. Oh. Yeah, how long ago there, Mogens? Oh man, nobody's gonna listen to us after this episode. <laughs> no, I went to school in Denmark. <laughs> that's right, you did. Like, he oh, yeah. actually knows what he's Yeah, I, yeah, I went true. to school. I was stayed in Tostrup, Mogens. Thanks for listening, by the way. Yeah, was that, that was my family. I was in Tostrup for uh, nine months. Nice. Awesome. I, I since then looked at the Google Maps and the Tostrup I was in in the mid '80s is like completely changed. Oh. It's very different. Oh. I don't, so anyway, did it sink or something? No, it's just Denmark <laughs> is a very small place, yeah. and so whenever they need to, you know, everything's constantly growing and changing, and it's changed a lot. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. Did you say from the mid '80s? Don't judge me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. mid eighties, okay. like eighty four, eighty five. Yes, in the last thirty five years, I would hope it changed. Yes. Yeah, Whippersnappers. Yeah, we are. Interesting sounds out of your mic. All right. All right. Um, <laughs> greetings Danish. from Col- Danish. It's not the, it's <laughs> the language sounds. All right. All right. I'm, a, I'm done. Oh, you jackers of happiness. I like that. Oh, you jackers of happiness! Greetings from cold, wet, and windy—the cold, wet, and windy country of Denmark. Like it should be like a like a a, a Yuletide hymn to Happy Jacks. Oh, ye jackers of happiness! Yeah. <laughs> Something similar to that. Sorry, I, I apologize to everyone who just had to hear me say. <laughs> it's okay. 
And please excuse my danglish. <laughs> <laughs> That's my new favorite word. Oh, man. Do you want to check your danglish there? You might want to zip that up. <laughs> the worst part is that they speak better English than we do. Oh, yeah. Because their English teachers were from Britain, so they actually can speak they better. They actually learn the grammar part yes, of it. Yes, they do. Actually, my Danish brother, his teacher, I'm t talking so he can adjust me. My Danish brother learned from an American, and my Danish sister learned from a Brit, so they were always arguing about the pronunciation of words. It's not about its root. Uh. Yeah. Oh, True man. story. Yep. Uh, all right. Greetings from the cold, wet, and windy country of Denmark. And please excuse my English. You already said that's right. I'm currently in the process of starting a new campaign with some homebrew rules, which are heavily based in Call of Cthulhu 7th edition Pulp Cthulhu. I heavily uh, you want to continue? I, I heavily suggested to the players <laughs> that they should use the quote-unquote standard array of values for the stats of the characters. Strength, intelligence, appearance, blah, 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 blah. There's about nine of them, or eight or nine of them. Um, which they then could assign as they wanted, as opposed to rolling all of the stats. I see several advantages of the standard array. One, all characters have the starting point and or opportunities, i.e. you don't get super weak or super powerful characters in the same group. While some players say they don't care about playing a character with really bad stats, in my experience, every player has that breaking point <laughs> when their character failed to do something again because of a bad stat. I think that is especially important in a long campaign like the one I'm planning to run. Two, you get the stats you want for your character. Imagine the player that wanted to play the Arnold-like character and rolls poorly and gets a strength value equivalent to a newborn baby. Three, you get both high and low values in the standard array. Uh, so your characters uh, with both strengths... So you get characters with both strengths and weaknesses, i.e. What, what I would call a well-rounded character. Yes. Four, if you use the dice rolls to build, flesh out, inform your character, you can still roll, roll slash randomize the values in the standard array. So I would say that the standard array works both for works for both backstory first, then stats, and stats first, then backstory character creation. Personally, the, um, that I've concluded that the standard array is perfect in every way, even though all generalizations are bad. <laughs> I, I really like this uh, little, sort of little granulation here between backstory first and then stats first. Right. The, that is an interesting yeah. Yeah. distinction. Oh, yeah, it makes it's a really interesting distinction. However, one of my players strongly objected to the use of the standard array, saying that prevented him from making the character he wanted to, since I wouldn't allow dice rolls for stats. Now, did you strongly suggest or disallow? Because that's yes. a difference. Because now I'm seeing Well, like, uh, three lines later, he says he disallowed. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts on the standard array and or dice stats, good or bad? Am I too strict when I disallow uh, dice rolls for stats? I'm generally very flexible when it comes to homebrew and customization the customizing the classes and whatnot for my players, but I feel the need to be a bit strict during character creation. I'm basically just trying to avoid having to write a character out and, and a new character in because of poor dice rolls. However, in that process, am I ruining the fun for my players? Thanks for the fantastic show. You really are doing amazing stuff. Smiley face. Oh. Mogan's in Denmark. Long-time lurker, first-time writer. Well, thank you. Thank you for writing. Thanks for working. Yes. Is this where I tell you to drink? Yep. Yes. PPS. Oh, yes. It was. Sorry. Drink. <laughs> Skull. I don't yeah. even have one. I need to get what? one. I'm going to open a bottle of wine in a okay. little bit. Yeah. Um, no, can no. I just say, like, I really want to jump in here just for an end, <laughs> an answer to that end question. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't want to write characters out and other characters in, you shouldn't be playing an extended campaign of Cthulhu. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Point, Puja. Yes, <laughs> well said. Um, I, yeah. I think we rolled we rolled characters randomly, but if I believe that I let you guys assign them because some of them have like roll two d six and add this or yeah, we rolled yeah. and then like we rolled a bank and assigned the bank. Yeah, if I'm okay. remembering correctly. Yeah, but there's like that. different things you roll for different stats, but they're we kind of grouped them if I recall yeah. correctly. So you could you had some flexibility. Yeah, um, and I actually really liked that. Like it was like. I got all the fun of rolling and the and the need to like focus because I got some good and some bad stats. None of us, like out of the four of us, had like crazy great stats across the board. Right. Yeah, I, I, I don't 
I don't really have a preference either way. I, I kind of did it that way because that's the original, the old Call of Cthulhu before they had a, a standard array. Because that, mm-hmm. I don't even, I don't, I don't even know if that was in sixth edition. I don't remember. It might have been, but I don't really have a preference either way. I mean, if the players want to use a standard array, I guess they can. But I kind of like the idea of rolling, and then I, I, I wouldn't do it hardcore and say. You are now rolling your strength. Mm-hmm. Right, I was that is the role you're going to keep. You are now rolling your decks. That is the role you're going to keep. Mm-hmm. But to, if you can move them around, I think that's fine. It's interesting to me too that he has a player that objected because because uh, he, he's not playing the character that he wanted to. It's like if you're rolling random dice, that's are you going to get to play a character you want? <laughs> right, <laughs> like unless rolling at home, <laughs> and or if he just wants to play a broken character. I mean, I which I totally get too. Which is like I I want the, the chips to fall where they may, and I'm going to play this character. But mm-hmm. it's interesting. To to me that that's a distinction the guy said is like you're you're taking away my fun by not letting me roll up a random character right I know that there are players I know people who absolutely can't stand the traveler character generation system yeah they want to make the character they want to make right yeah so I, I understand that there are players like that and I'm sure there are players on the other side who are like no I want to have the fun of making something random and then trying to figure out why this character is this way and then yeah. figure out how to play it without dying yeah um, so I don't really have a preference either either way. I don't think. I think I, I think a lot of it would tie in with like what he said about whether you do backstory and then care and then stats or stats and then backstory. Right. Because I mean, if you're coming up like sort of saying like with the whole character and then you're showing up at the table, it's like okay, well, like that um, you know the standard array is sort of sort of what I plan for um, or whatever it is. Like again with rolling dice to tell unless you're doing like what we did where we rolled and then assigned it so right. we were able to come to the table with an idea and then roll and assign um like kind of it's kind of a hybrid be- kind of match right. the yeah. hybrid between the standard array and rolling where you actually roll your numbers and then you can assign them where you want to yeah. make the character that you want mm-hmm. and i think that that's a nice balance because then you get some terrible stats that yeah. you have to figure out where to put and then that'll affect your character and maybe some better stats not always though like there's always that like random time um God, who was it in a game recently that did that? Um, and they like just gangbustered. They got everything like super high. Is that the Rob or, or Dave? Probably, yeah, <laughs> somebody. Um, and then the same thing can happen the opposite way. So like there is kind of that. That's a hard place to be as a GM. You have to know that your characters are going to be okay with whatever they get. Yeah. Um, because and that's a discussion yeah. that people should have. Like <coughs> it's like okay, cool. Like know that if we're doing the roles or like. Or I've had GMs step in yeah. where they're like, look, you rolled really shitty yeah. across the board. Yeah. And, like, it really seems like this isn't going to be fun in the end. So, yeah. like, let's give you, like, I'll give you a re-roll. <coughs> I'll give you two re-rolls, whatever it is. Yeah. Just to, like, make the character playable. Yeah. Right. And that isn't to say, like, they, it wasn't, like, a boost kind of situation. <coughs> it was just, like, how did you manage to roll, like, all 20s out of 100? Yeah. Like statistically, if I give you two rerolls, you'll end up with a decently static character. Exactly. The, the thing about Call of Cthulhu, though, is your skills aren't tied to your stats at all. No. Right. So you can still make a character who's good at something. Yeah. But the the stat that you would think would be related to that thing might be terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I uh, I don't know. I don't. I, I, I think maybe you're being a little bit of a hard ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. But. But it does drastically affect things like our luck and stuff like that. Luck, sanity, so, sanity power. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which are all big deals in that game. So if you <coughs> roll poorly on your stats, like it really does like like drastically impact how sustainable your character is through oh, a golf oh, through sure. the game. But oh, yeah. I think like that's part of the reason why I feel like you do need to have some aspect of rolling in yeah. there because Cthulhu is not D and D. No, no. Like in general, I mean, you want your character to be in for the long haul, mm-hmm. but everything is stacked against that happening. Yeah, right. Like the entire game system is stacked against you being in, the, in for the long haul. Oh yeah. So it's, I think, more fun to play with like characters that have these <coughs> like interesting, glaring weaknesses. Agreed. And because it's an investigation game rather than a fighting game, mm-hmm. it's you're much, much less likely to end up with a character, even if they have four stats, who's useless to the party. Yeah. Like, you're not... If you're, all your core stats kind of suck, like, yeah, that that's not great. And it definitely makes your sanity rolls harder. Mm-hmm. But then you can play with it in interesting ways, like you did. <coughs> Spoilers for 
previous <laughs> episodes of Murmurs. Mm-hmm. But like where like half the party goes mm-hmm. indefinitely insane all at the same time. Right. <laughs> so, I, it was a big shock hmm. to us when we first played Call of Cthulhu when it first came out back in the early 80s. Because <laughs> uh, we never we never really figured out what the sanity thing was. Oh, yeah, sanity, whatever. It's a dry style. Okay, whatever. And then you know, first time we run into something, we look it up and like, oh, oh, that's really important. I guess we we should have to start over again because now we're all insane. That's a central conceit of the game. <laughs> Oops. Yes. So I don't know. Now I, I I think I personally, if someone wanted to roll the stats, I would let them. Yeah. If I I mean. I didn't even give you guys an option of using the standard array. No. Eh. The the and the thing is, although the, the, the one the one thing I think, if you compare character creation for that to character creation for Glittering Knight, which we just did a week ago, mm-hmm. everyone for Glittering Knight because that's point by system. Yeah. yeah. You can make exactly the character you, you want to make. Everyone came to the table with two, three. Concepts for characters. It, well, not I don't know if everyone did, but a lot of people had multiple concepts for characters. Jim certainly had like four. Yeah. And I think we all did. Like we all had at least <coughs> like one backup in mm-hmm. our pocket. Right. And, and and that certainly makes it go faster, yeah. I guess. But and the, but I don't know if people really had real firm ideas of what kind of character they're going to make until they saw their stats for Call of Cthulhu. So I mean, it really also depends on the preference of the players. Like he's talking about backstory yeah. first or stats first. Yeah. So, at the end of the day, though, Mugens, I got to ask you this: If you had just allowed him to roll his character, would it have broken the game? I mean, maybe everybody else can use the standard array. If he wanted to roll, let him roll. Mm. I mean, he still would have come up with a character with stats. And and to be like kind of dovetailing on what you said, characters with bad stats are kind of going to write themselves out of the game anyway. You don't really yeah. have to do a lot of work as a GM to figure out how they're going to go That's away. True. <laughs> They'll yeah. go away. I mean, Stu's kind of his new rule rule zero is. <coughs> He, he, a player wants to do something. And he thinks about it very quickly. Like, okay, what what will affect if I just let them that, let that happen? No, nothing. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, right. Yeah, if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But, yeah. I mean, it is your game, though. So yeah. if you yeah. and and make sure your other players are okay with that too. Yeah. Like would be my one kind of caveat to that. If like they're all like, well, that's I don't know. It's. As someone who runs a classroom, sometimes having everybody do the same thing is the most fair thing you can do. Right. But, yeah, Most people true. probably won't care. All I right. wouldn't care, like, if someone was like, I have to use a standard rate. Cool. Cool, dude. That's great. Cool. Yeah. Do, do you do yeah, you. you do yeah. you. Especially because, like, I'm assuming you're in your gaming group, you're all kind of friendly, at least. If yeah. not friends. Right. I hope so. All right. If not, I you mean, should write us that email. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we love those. Uh, so thank you, Mogens from Denmark, for the email, yes. and 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 welcome, longtime lurker, first time. Yes. Writer. Yeah, thank you for lurking, that. and thank you for listening, <laughs> and thank you now for writing in. Lengthy introduction and short question on campaign structure from Dirk. Oh. I can oh my gosh. help read some of this because it's it, it it's almost I'll three start. pages. Should we each take a paragraph? Oh, I'll start. It's fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. you guys can and then we'll just rotate target. through. I mean, Duh, happy jackers. I never thought it would happen to me, but it totally did. Oh, God. Today, October 23rd, 2019, is a day I shall never forget. <laughs> this day, this momentous day, is the day that I ran out of backlog. <laughs> it is the day I reached the end of the tunnel and realized the light is just that, a light. <laughs> it is the day that driving home from work, I finally finished playing the last episode of Happy Jack's RPG. <sighs> Ever recorded. Until Friday, that is. It has been a journey, and what a journey it has been. I've listened to tales of horror, many and highly entertaining, tales of glory and successes, fewer but enlightening in their own way, all the while reflecting on my own experiences and recognizing many of the faults and even a few of my successes. Excellent. All in all, I feel your podcast should help me be a better GM. Whether it does or not, well, that is entirely on me. Welcome. Welcome. About that, (coughs) me. <laughs> Perhaps I should briefly introduce myself and establish my geek credits, of course. I'm Dirk, he, him, and to utterly confuse everyone, I go by Dirk on the forum as well, as on Discord. Ah, that's In case of doubt on how to pronounce it, it is like the Scottish dagger, only with an E. If all else fails, the Scottish dagger will do. So only it's with an Derek. E. Der- Derek? It's Derek. Derek. Okay. Derek. D-I-R-K, right? But he spells it D-E-R-K, so he but says it's, pronounced it's like Dirk, but with an Derek. E. 
It's just like, like the Does that mean it's only oh, spelled okay. with an E, but it's still pronounced like the Scottish dagger? Or Any- does that mean that it's spelled like the Scottish dagger? I'm, gonna, except I'm moving on. E rather than <laughs> Anything but jerk is fine and dandy with me. You now have to write another email to clarify oh, how to pronounce your name. Look, if it rhymes a jerk, then it's got to be Dirk. Because he says right there. Okay, anyway. I'm 47. I'm a 47 year old gamer from the Netherlands. Um, another sort of Scandinavian. We like this. Uh, first indulged in Dungeons and Dragons Red Box in 1985. Nice. Advanced onward to eight. <laughs> You're getting hipster all over us. Uh, 1985 advanced onward to AD and D. We love you then anyway, Derek. Dirk. Dirk. Then yes. <laughs> yes. Derek. Dirk. And the rest of <laughs> and the rest of France is now shut up. Um, and uh, then to Shadowrun and GURPS. Yeah. <laughs> in the early 90s. As an addict of many geek hobbies, miniature wargaming, and a little bit of LARP, historical cavalry nice. reenactment, medieval jousting, computer Ooh, geekery, Historical et cavalry reenactment? Do you guys have horses? Or do you use like a stick with a horse head on it? <laughs> My they, it's, like, it's like playing Quidditch. <laughs> no. My interest in RPGs waned. He says medieval jousting, so I'm guessing like actual horses. Oh, okay. All right. Or Excellent. he has somebody running next to him with coconuts. <laughs> <laughs> but how did you get the coconuts? A money python LARP. Did they? <laughs> that would be so much fun. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Make that happen. I'm never African getting through this email. But we're really entertained, so thank you. My interest in RPGs uh, waned in the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. After an intermission that I, so that I survived through not dying, I, uh, there's a Always story a there somewhere, <laughs> I stumbled back across RPGs around 2010 or so. I joined... <laughs> Uh, Warhammer fantasy oh, roleplay. Thank you. I was going to say, what the fuck, RP? Um, <laughs> what the <a> fuck? <laughs> campaign and, dis- and discovered all the amazing things indie RPGs have added to the hobby since. Yay! With Roll20 as a platform for gaming with geeks around the world, I have since tasted the likes of Apocalypse World, Dungeon World, yes, even been singed by the hot circle of Burning Wheel. <laughs> Not as bad an experience as two things. Okay. I've had my wallet plundered by Kickstarters, <coughs> including quite recently that of Demigods. Yeah. I'm invested in John Harper's writings, all, uh, but all those pale compared to the damage wrought to my bank account by FFG with Legend of the Five Rings and Star Wars. Yes, much to be said on chicken entrails and like, but not in this email that is <laughs> getting far too long already. But we are not halfway done yet. No. A little over a year ago, I stumbled across your Inukai L5R actual play, <laughs> tripped, and got hooked on a steady diet of Appy Jack's RP since. Yeah. I must compliment Happy Jack's RP as a, as a true gem of a podcast with inter- interesting discussions, an amazing cast of hosts. Oh, thank you. Amazing cast of hosts and yeah. a very healthy attitude towards our collective hobby. <laughs> as a white cis male player, I truly appreciate that diversity of your hosts and can only imagine what a joy it must be uh, to the less neckbeardy portion. And there's a little start. There right. are people who are neckbeards who are not. <laughs> Cavemen yes. of the RPG community. Say, it's just they don't know to shave this part. Yep. That's, a, that's all that means. <laughs> so much that I recently found myself dismissing actual <clears throat> plays by yet another bunch of white guys as probably uh, as probably narrow and not very interesting. Uh, beard check, neck beard. No. Uh, no, the asterisk was was about the beard. Yeah, right, I get checking it. The, yeah, yes. checking the neck. <laughs> anyway, enough fawning over your amazing podcast. I do have a question. Thought I want to put forward for your discussion. In my efforts to improve my game mastership, I keep coming across experts like the How to Be a Great GM YouTube channel uh, with advice on pacing the game. Even after ignoring his preachiness, a hard task indeed, I struggle with making sense of of his advice. Perhaps I'm an utterly failed GM, but I cannot wrap my head around how how I can, on the one hand, yes and my players, and be a fan of their characters, and at the same time, try to tell my story. In, In fact, quotes. I strongly believe that my story is a fallacy. I can hear you yell, go write a novel already. <laughs> In short... We need shirts that say that. What they are trying to sell is that the optimal, uh, that the optimal is to have three key elements to a campaign. A clearly defined introduction, a middle consisting... Preferably of two parts, a great conclusion. Where did they get the two part? What are I, the two parts? That's what this, the dude said. Yeah, I think that's this is the YouTube. Dude. It's sort of your standard. Yeah. It's your standard story arc kind of model. Yeah. I mean, normally isn't it five acts? Yes. <laughs> In missing an act. <laughs> <laughs> 
but to be broken down into their own mini-stories with an introduction, middle, conclusion each. I'm lost already because trying to write a conclusion at the start of a campaign strikes me as an utter waste of time. Ah. Trying to hang on to the above seems to be a surefire way to railroad the heck out of the campaign, either by denying options, no, that door cannot be opened, or by false option, yes, you can go through that door one second while I teleport my villain to the passages behind the door. I am honestly pleased if I can predict where we will be halfway into the next session. I could be even more chuffed if the players surprise me and we end up somewhere completely unexpected. My belief as a GM that I should be able to always answer the question, which players' beliefs, instincts, traits, am I challenging here, then throwing in a twist or major encounter, or at least have a very good reason why it is there, there it why it is there when it is not tied to an aspect of the characters. Overall, the spotlight should go to the characters, not on the brilliant story that I am desperately trying to craft while allowing some space for those pesky, willful <laughs> player characters. <laughs> that said, I have also encountered the problem with games floundering, as there seems to be no direction with players and GMs struggling alike to find a direction. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. So, anyways, to help structure the dynamic nature of a game without interfering with player act, no, we will not use that term anymore. <laughs> Allow me to rephrase it. You can use agency. <clears throat> Without allowance, the player's meaningful choices or Without meaningful allowing. vote to our uh, friends in the UK. Ooh. Mm. W- what can the GM do to prevent games moving forward and having some tension arc throughout the campaign? So Why, you great wait, jackers have any insight or advice to add here? I'm no, I'm not too sure about that sentence myself. I think it's supposed to do to to make sure the games are moving forward and having some mean having some tension arc throughout the campaign rather than to prevent that. Yeah, happening. yeah. Yes. Okay. My approach okay, so what uh, what do the great jackers have any insight or advice to add here? Do you want to add anything here? Um, well, oh, he, he, he talks about his uh, approach real quick. Okay. So yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. My <laughs> approach to the moment is uh, my I'll come in again. My approach at the moment Line. is to try and create an unholy mix of apocalypse world style fronts and clocks, burning wheel style beliefs, instincts and traits, bits, a strong dose of yes and, or be a fan of your characters, and look through the crosshairs, always consider killing off NPC, overthrowing status quo, etc. Am I committing sacrilege when applying all of the above to a game of The Legend of the Five Rings, or am I perhaps on a path towards getting the art of GMing? Am I truly missing out on something by focusing on the above rather than on the overarching structure? (coughs) I look forward to your thoughts and ridicule. Best geek regards, Dirk. P.S. I love Casalinda's song. Casilda. Casilda's song? Sorry. It's really atmospheric, even when Stu seems to think it isn't. Uh, it is even better played on the car stereo on loud. Yeah, I did that after. <laughs> PPS, the, the new closing song anthem. I'm sorry, but it really doesn't work for me. Yeah, I, I wish I could say why. All I say, uh, all, all I can say, I do enjoy listening to it. So. I do not enjoy listening to it. Does not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so sorry to see the old one go due to copyright issues. PPPS, Zach, I just realized I may have forced you to read through all of that dribble without going drink. So please drink. Drink. Prost. <laughs> Thank you for writing in a very good email. So, what was this question here? So, oh God! <laughs> it was so long ago. Like, it was like kind of like like GMing advice. Like, how do you find a balance where you're not like writing your novel and forcing the players through your chapters of your novel, but also not being so kind of loosey goosey with it that you end up kind of floundering, floundering and not knowing. All right, well, what's our motivation? We don't really have a point right now. So, like, where do you find that happy middle, just right place? I'm probably not the best person to answer this because I've run a lot of one shots in the last. I don't know, that's really all I've done, and there's, I structure the hell out of them. Yeah, right. In order to keep the pacing down and everything, and I literally have a beginning, middle, and end. Mm-hmm. But they're kind of roughly framed up. They're scenes, mm-hmm. and so I, I'll hang everything off of a scene. So it's not necessarily the middle of my whole campaign, but there's a scene that like uh, takes place in a castle. You just have to get into the castle and scene, and then the players get to go into this thing that I've already set up. By, I mean, by pacing out a long campaign, I don't think it's possible. What you have to do is you have sort of your introduction, you meet in a, in a tavern, and then you have a lot of middle in, in between there that a lot of stuff happens. And then when everybody starts to get tired, and Stu's done this before too, it's like, we're going to start wrapping it up. And then you can start your conclusion. But for the most part, there is no <coughs> middle. The middle is where everything else happens and you just sort of adapt. Yeah. That's the only thing I can say. I, but I love to overprep. I'm a world creator. <laughs> I'll spend hours and hours and hours like mapping out a castle. And then if they don't go there, I will find another use for it. 
<laughs> I have a long explanation. You want to go first? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> did you, were you going to say something? No. Okay. okay. Uh, I was going to say, okay, so we've talked, um, actually, I don't know if it's on the podcast or just in Stu's backyard. We've talked about um, different kinds of writers and different types of authors. So there's George R. R. Martin, which is, by all accounts and by people talking about his writing style, he writes as he goes. He makes it the story as he goes based on what he thinks the characters would do in that situation. He's not the person who plans it all out first and then writes it according to his plan. Then, I can't give an example, I forget who we talked about, then there are those authors who go through and they plan everything and they write it all out and then they actually... Outline everything. Yeah, outline everything and then they compose the novel. Um, I try, um, as frustrating as it is being a fan of an author who writes it as they go because they take so long, um, I try and be a GM like that where I kind of go through and I, and I, I... don't plan the full story, but I plan a bunch of NPCs and their motivations. Like, I'll plan the villain and then, like, what their motivation is, which gives me structure to work in as I'm running the campaign. So then it's like, it's I'm not planning, oh, the villain's gonna do this, but I'm like, hey, the villain is interested in hurting the party because they have this thing. Um, so then, like, whenever that thing comes up, then the villain will probably act with them. So it's a way of having a, a structure and a plan that isn't an outline and a novel that they're forced to go through. So, like, things will trigger, um, you know, action. I'll be like, oh, I want to make sure there's a combat, you know, today. So I'll, like, think, and as they, they the players start doing whatever they are they're doing, then, oh, hey, that would definitely trigger this person to do this, and that would cause a combat or something like that. Um, so I don't plan every place they go, but I plan... I plan enough of the world around them that I know how the world would react to their actions, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think that, like, I mean, there's a really big difference between planning out everything you want your characters to do and, like, only giving them one option from place to place to go to or what you, what is actually there for them to do mm-hmm. and having a kind of general idea of your end game mm-hmm. as a GM. Where you say, like, okay, at the end of this, like, I know who my villain is. I know who I want them to confront. Mm-hmm. And that this is going to be, like, not mapping out how they do it or anything, but mm-hmm. just saying, like, these are the goals that your your party is working towards that may still be hidden to the party, but are known to you as a GM, so you can structure stuff kind of around that. Yeah. And that prevents a lot of this floundering. Because if you see your characters are kind of at this stalemate moment, you can introduce, say, like an NPC who has a motivation that gives them an extra clue or, or gives them, even, even if it has nothing to do with the overarching plot, mm-hmm. if you have a, a, a kind of backlog of interesting NPCs in your pocket that mm-hmm. you can pull out when they're, when they're stuck or when they're like literally looking around the table going like, well, what the hell do we do now? Yeah. That's a great, like, it's just like a catalyst mm-hmm. thing. The, <clears throat> the, fir- the first thing that I want to say is I, I don't think either approach is an invalid approach to role-playing games. There are GMs and players yeah. who like a structured game. Yes. Who want a game that does have that be- that that planned out you know beginning, middle, and end. They want to know they get the right answer. And that's, mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah. However, I am a strong believer that you're going to get a better story if the players are contributing to the story in a real meaningful way. I've run, I, I'm trying to think what game it was, Vampire, um, the Mode of Sin game. I had a sort of end game in mind for that. <laughs> and, spoilers. <laughs> there was a Toreador NPC named Sebastian who had a brother, I think, who was uh, Anthony, who was a Nosferatu. They had come up with this plan. They were going to find a... Uh, an antediluvian and be basically become vampire gods. That was their that was a long term plan, and I came up with that before we even made characters. And that game actually had probably more floundering around in it than any game I've run. Yeah, go start. Woohoo! You did it. And I don't know. <laughs> and I don't. I don't think that was because of the story I came up with. I think it was because of the structure of the fact that the players had their own domain that was sort of separate from the prince. Yeah. And 
and basically I was throwing problems at them. Some of them were could be harnessed to help in this process. Some of them might not. A lot of problems. There was also learning the game. Also, just leveling up so we could take on things. I right. Mean, at some point, we were like we started diabolizing everything because that's the only way to get power in yes. order to take on an antediluvian. <laughs> right. So, so that, that 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 campaign, I definitely had a strong idea of where it was going to end. I think it went some a few sessions after that because mm-hmm. the whole Miroslav thing happened when he yeah, took we over. Added, yeah, we definitely added a lot to your what you had planned. Yes, as we went because new things were introduced. Then you compare that to the Exodus campaign, where I literally had no idea how <laughs> the game was going to end. I didn't even know what the yes. subject matter of the game was going to be. Yeah, I spent the first. Four or five sessions, I think. I just wanted to kind of establish the world and let the players kind of get a feel for what the world was like. Mm-hmm. So they kind of traveled around and they did some stuff. And I threw little bits and pieces of various different things that could become plot hooks. Because like I said, I'm writing this now for, as a, for a book. And I'm at 139 pages now. And almost all of that, I would say 90% of it, I wrote before the campaign began. I'm just transferring it out of my OneNote into it. So would you say that you you gave us a sandbox to play in? I gave you a sandbox (laughs) to play in. And then he he crowdsourced us to come up with stuff for him. Isn't it it fish tank now? It's fish tank now. There's so many terms. It's cat box, actually. (laughs) Oh, that's just... Cat box? (laughs) It's cat box. Yeah. It's not. So, there's almond roca. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway... Can but, never eat almond roca again. <coughs> Thanks, dude. But when we got to a certain point, I introduced an element to it that the players really grabbed onto, which was the 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 uh, the nano, nanotech. nanotechnology, yeah. quantum bots, right? And and he didn't even know that yet because that, that and and they grabbed onto that, and I'm like, okay, that's going to be the plot. Whatever, let's see how much of that prep I've done. I've done a, some. I'm going to do some more, and then I was able to kind of figure it out. But I didn't know where the end point was going to be. Mm-hmm. Until that point. Yeah. And that, you guys determined. And at that point, I'm like, okay, how could this possibly end? Well, it's probably going to end with a big battle, because gonna, there's going to be this dude, and they're going to have to kill him. And... and Stork's going to one-shot him while he goes, <laughs> Right. Not. Oh, sorry. Like, total spoilers. <laughs> the only time I've ever succeeded in like, one-shot It was my one good roll. <laughs> it was so good. But... But and I think that was that was probably a more satisfying ending for the campaign yeah. than I think that the 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 L five R no the uh, the vampire one. Mm-hmm. although the Nazi submarines was a really nice touch but that was had nothing to do with game I, prep well yeah, that was all on the players yeah. it was awesome no I, I, no I I did actually make them they were all ghouled Nazis right that, that <laughs> she, she she Samantha's character bought. A, a surplus U-boat. Yeah, but then her, 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 um, her sire gifted her like a crew, a crew that she made up of ghouled Nazis yeah. who had actually been on a U-boat. Yeah. right. Which, and she's like, "We're going to have to like re-educate you guys." So, <laughs> well, their whole appearance was good. It's like they were all they dumped out on the beach and they're all like goose stepping around and, and <laughs> seagulling everything that moves. Right. And, the, and it was just well, so, they were also really old. It was a ridiculous were, like, scene. Yeah, but, but oh, yeah. so funny. But, uh, but I think I think the traveler. Ending was more satisfying as a game, and I did not know, even know where, the, where there was going to be any sort of. I did, had no idea where that campaign was going to go. That's something you that I'm saying. Yeah, that's something I've discovered at GMing too. Like when I first started GMing, I did that where I had like my planned ending, and it was great. Like people got there, and there's like, you know, in like a video game, you kind of know what's going to happen. You know, you're you're going to get there eventually, and then you fight the the guy. So that's that's always fun, but I found, and lately I think just like our trend recently as a group of Happy Jacks is to be more flexible with that, and I found you do get much more poignant, much more emotional, um, like climaxes to your story when it's something that you've kind of pulled and evolved from what the characters are themselves and what they've created. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you're like, okay, there will be a bad guy and there'll be a big fight at the end, because like I'm running superhero right now. Like, you know... That's you, almost every... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you kind of, like, have it planned out, but maybe you don't exactly plan exactly who it is. Maybe you know what their attack will be. But you don't... You know, you maybe you wait, and you're like, oh, maybe it's this person, maybe it's this person, and then you wait until... Um, like, uh, that's just one of the reasons I really love doing Session Zero, where you do a lot of world creation together, because you get a bunch of things you can use. Um, yeah, yeah really especially... Like the game you're running right now with Eidolon, mm-hmm. like being able to pull in 
stuff like the um, the fact that they're doing community service. Yes. And, and it's like planned. suddenly that became a, a major element yeah. that we're that y'all dealt with in session three. There, yeah. it's like, oh hey, and that's something they came up with when they did Decima when they were doing mm-hmm. session zero. Yeah. And there was one other thing, like um, I just can't think of it right now. Yeah. But those are great things you can pull out, like when you get into those moments. Because mm-hmm. I had hit one of those moments where, like, oh, we just done a bunch of interesting stuff, and then it sort of felt like, oh, I'm feeling like floundering. Everyone's having like. They're all teenagers because it's masks. It's like, oh, everyone's hanging out on Saturday. Feels like nothing's happening. Oh, you have to do community service because this is what we came up with in session zero. Okay, so now <laughs> you're doing community service for, you know, this top secret organization because you're superheroes who really messed up in one of your th- missions. <laughs> so <coughs> it, like, led to this whole other thing. So I had a whole, now it's two sessions of material that came from that that I hadn't necessarily planned. I knew it would be somewhere in the campaign, and I had it kind of planted in my head, but I just didn't know when it would land. And it's like, oh, we need to, like, poke the bear a little bit. We need to make them do something. Oh, community service time, guys. You just mm-hmm. get called. Here's the shuttle. It's showing up. Oh, and Jack Johnson. <coughs> yeah, yeah. The so, best NPC ever. 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 <laughs> the pr- there's pluses and minuses to to over prepping. I yeah. really like having those NPCs or making a big bad, and so you, you your your story's chugging along, but you know player agency is going to be what it does, and so maybe instead of fighting the big bad, they end up joining them. Yeah. Right. So now you end up having to like <coughs> drop back and punt, and that's fun for you as a GM. You're like, but you can't be too married to your story. Mm-hmm. The, the the point is that the yes and is to not block that. Say no! You're supposed to fight the big bad because in your head you've created this whole battle sequence. You thought you've already mapped out how it was going to go, just sort of maybe in your head. And so when they say, "Yeah, we're going to join them instead. We're going to join Vader and not kill him," you're like, "Uh, don't panic. <laughs> That's the story they want. Yeah. You have to yes yeah. and that and roll with it. And it's fine. Your big bad's still there. It's just the, the outcome yeah. is not what you take five minutes. Set up. Go to the restroom. Yeah. Right. That's our truth. Yeah. Something. Like, something. Or will come if to they you. like, you know, they choose the dark side. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. That's a great cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. next time on. Yeah. But but at the same time, like that's the thing is is don't get too married to what I think that's a major mm-hmm. thing that you said was don't get too married to the idea of what you want people to do. You you have like okay know like your basic kind of goalposts, mm. but but be flexible with how they get there. It's the whole thing that we talk about all the time um, that y- people have like you have multiple ways, multiple solutions to a problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they have all kinds of avenues to get to those to get to the end of that journey. Mm-hmm. And if they end up going around like creating a whole <coughs> woven tapestry wheel of time style. Mm. And, you know, you die and Brandon Sanderson has to come in and finish your game for you. <laughs> you don't just die in the middle of your story. <laughs> uh, not to psych 101 it too much, but um, there's a... Many, much relationship advice hinges on the fact that people write scripts. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to say this and they're going to do that. Or they didn't do that and now I'm upset. And that's kind of what this is, in a way, which is you've written a script in your head about how this game is going to fall into place. And when it doesn't, you panic and you freak out. You have to be much more flexible in your GMing style to just roll with whatever your players are going to throw you. And Stu is really good at it, and he's very comfortable. And sometimes it takes putting your ego aside. Because mm. you can be very proud of what you've created, and it's and suddenly you feel like the players are stepping on your toes by taking all this wonderful stuff that you've created and walking on it. You have to realize that it is a collaborative effort. They're not there to... Or avoiding it. Or avoiding <laughs> it. Or just completely <laughs> avoiding it altogether, yeah. Or you saying this like seems like death. And it does take some courage to, to yeah. say... Okay, this is the story that you guys are creating. I'm going to go with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like it's like babysitting very young children, um, and I don't mean that in like a way to put down the players, but like I don't know how many of you have ever babysat very young children, but you show up and you have your your kit of stuff. You have some coloring books. You've got like a game to play. You're like, okay, I've got some videos. You have no idea what order things are going to be in. What generation are you in? Where's the <laughs> iPad? <laughs> I was when, I was ba- when I was babysitting, I could not afford to bring an iPad okay, for my right. kids. The kids I was babysitting. I'm sorry. If they had iPads, great. Right. But coloring <laughs> books are—they've got adult coloring books now. It's a thing. They. I know. Yeah, yeah. People love coloring but books. But anyway, you have all your little like things you have to to fill their time and to keep them entertained until. But but you know, okay, we have to have d- dinner. We have to have bedtime. There's things you have to hit in there. Um, and you can kind of be flexible with that, depending on the parents. But you just have to, like, be ready with, like, different things at different times. And you kind of plan ahead of time. And then sometimes you have to improv. Like, oh, uh, you guys are done with the coloring books? Let's play hide and seek. 
I don't need any supplies for that. Cool. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's what it is. It's like thinking on your feet when you don't know exactly what will be the best choice, but trying to hit certain marks. I don't know. I think I went way down the path with that. I'm sorry. We all got lost. We were projects. all in on that. <laughs> yeah, we were, I was in I on was coloring there. books and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was ready for that, and it made no sense. I'm sorry. But Thank hope, you, Dirk. That I was hope we answered your question. Yeah. I feel I like it was a... we did. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's interesting, too, because it's like... You ask different GMs this question, and with every GM, you'll get a different answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. And a lot of it depends on your group, too. It like does. we've We have specifically been talking about story-driven games because Happy Jacks, like, as a group, that's what we play. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you have a group that, like, what they really want is a nice structured dungeon crawl, yes. and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that mm-hmm. if that's what you all showed up with the expectation of, yeah. and that's what's going to make you all have a bunch of fun for however many sessions that takes. And those tend to be really structured and it's like a like make a deal and you and you pick what's behind door number two. Mm-hmm. Almost said door number B. <laughs> <laughs> but um and that's those are all fun in their own way. So like it's not necessarily that there's anything wrong with with like letting your players lead or that there's anything wrong with running like a more structured story. But it, it's just that agreement that you have at the table. Yeah. Like you go in and you, and you communicate like adults do, mm-hmm. <laughs> so well, that y'all yeah, exactly. all have a good time together <laughs> with like the kind of play and like what expectations yeah. are. To, to, at the risk of muddying the waters any further and maybe leapfrogging off what you just said, and maybe this make the last analogy, which is it's it's <laughs> the difference so between funny. improv uh-huh. and a scripted play. They're both very entertaining, but they're both radically different. Mm-hmm. Um, and improv takes a lot more courage, and it can be very scary as a performer because you just don't know if you're if you're funny. You don't know what's coming next. You just you're out there. You know everything's out there, and you you could fail at any moment. And a scripted play still has a lot of tension. The moments like, am I selling this point well? Am I doing this right? Am I am I hitting the timing right? Am I, am I making my blocking all of the technical stuff? And also, and then being able to emote the story. They're both very entertaining to watch. One is scarier to perform than the other, I think. Well, they're both they're both scary in different ways. Yeah, yeah. It's just that they're different flavors. They're different flavors. I don't know if if you have if you have bad memory, one's probably a lot scarier. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's looking at me. I think I have a line here. I have no idea what it is. Line. (laughs) Am I naked? (laughs) The whole school here. (laughs) Yep. All right. Thank you, Dirk or Derek. Dear. We yeah. appreciate you and we appreciate your We do. We really do. No, it's a Scottish dagger. Dirk. 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 Love it. Deadliness in D&D from Ben in Texas. I'm I guess I'm doing it. on your name. I'm sorry. Dirk. <laughs> this is probably the first Dirk. I've ever heard this greeting. And, and thank, oh, thank you for your compliment about Casilda's song. Um, and also, uh, I kind of agree with you about the anthem. I'm going to try to write another one at some point. I would really music. like to use the Soviet r- Soviet national anthem again. And just we just have to find a different recording of it that we can get permission. One that's public domain. I can't find one. Oh. I can find MIDI files. If anybody has an orchestra that are friends of theirs. <laughs> <laughs> Any orchestra leaders out there who would be willing yeah. to record a nice Soviet recording, national a good anthem. professional recording of, of your orchestra playing oh, the Soviet national anthem. It would be so great to have like a like a grade school version of it with oh, just yeah. how oh. to Oh my like, god, that'd be even better oh, than a good version it's of it. That'd just be the best. I just want one that's all recorders and violins. Yes. <laughs> just, well, the instruments are almost in, uh, almost, almost get the right tune. notes. Just almost, almost you know. Oh, it'd be genius. It would be oh, so man. good. Okay. Um, deadliness in D&D from Ben from Texas. Greetings, douche canoes. That's my new favorite. (laughs) Especially the way you said it, douche canoes. (laughs) I enjoyed your recent discussion about how to make D&D deadly with with scare quotes. Of course, D&D has a specific mechanic with challenge ratings that lets the DM calculate how deadly the encounter will be. There's even a category named deadly. If you're like me, though, you can only stand one or two combats per session, and the deadly rating in the damage assumes you're going to wear... DMG. I'm Dungeon sorry. Master Guide. Oh, yes, sorry. Uh, you can tell what I play with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the deadly rating in the DMG assumes you're going to wear the PCs down with three or four medium encounters. Oh my god, five combats a session. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> After running a campaign for a couple of years, it became my policy to make 
every encounter deadly. I did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, <laughs> you did. Otherwise, the combats were pretty boring. More interesting, though, was a conversation I had with one of my players. I asked them how tough they thought the encounters were. I was surprised when they told me that they were genuinely concerned that the party wouldn't make it out alive. <laughs> that sounds like, yes, check. Mm-hmm. Um, now, being the DM, I knew exactly how likely it was that the monsters would win. Not very likely. Despite the encounter being rated as deadly per the DMG, the PCs had everything well in hand. I also knew they had like a dozen trump cards that they could play if things weren't pear-shaped. But the players still felt like the encounter was threatening. Mm. Winning? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm wondering if making your game more deadly is actually about making it feel more deadly rather than ensuing that PC death is mechanically probable or possible. What sorts of things make encounters seem dangerous? Maybe high stakes are more important than danger. What are your thoughts? Your inebriated friend, Ben from Texas. Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. I ran into this exact same thing when I ran the 4E game Mm -hmm. and the 5E game. Yeah. Every combat we had, I'm like, they're all... And I I was making... I was using... I kind of threw the CR thing out of the window. I'm like, pile on a bunch of monsters and make make up monsters and shit. And I tried to make them as deadly as I possibly could. I felt that almost every combat in both of those campaigns were fucking cakewalks, except one. Yeah. Except for one super overpowered fight that lasted like five hours in, at table time. Well, there was the one, too, that you did kill Casey's character when he came in that one time, because we realized that when the zombie exploded, he set off the other exploding zombies, and Casey got caught by, like, shrapnel, oh, that's right. five of them. That's yeah. right. But that's yeah. only because we looked at it, and you looked at it and went, oh, they've got a blast radius. Oh, they're standing close. It's not like you designed it. It was one I of didn't. these, oops. Yeah. yeah, it was some, some kind of skeleton that when they die, they're like a flame skeleton of some kind. Yeah. When they die, they explode. And do damage around to everything around them, and they were all clustered around Casey's character. Mm-hmm. So he got hit by like four of them, like. Yeah. Time, yeah. yeah. Um, I, like I forgot. Like uh, reminds me of like an XCOM or something. There's like an alien that does that. Oh really? It it, it was awesome because it was a set off chain reaction, which I <laughs> totally had not intended. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I mean, what was like the. the it's been years now, but the 5th yeah. edition D&D game, did you guys ever feel like you were actually in danger? Uh, I feel like we felt... Uh, yeah, I feel like we did sometimes. Um, at least to losing somebody. Like, I really, I, like we, I never felt like it was going to be a TPK, but there was always... There was a couple times where we got close to losing, like, one person. And that kind of ratcheted up kind of the tension with that. Um, but yeah, most of the time, it's, it's hard in D&D. Right. Um, you know, you've got... Especially because I tend to play, like... Like tank types, like just so fucking tough. And you got a lot of stuff, especially you get higher levels. There's mm-hmm. tons of stuff you can do. Yeah. Now I can see players can start getting worried when they start running out of those whole cards. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is like, oh well, I'm starting to run low on my spell slots for the day, or like, uh, I only had so many arrows. If you're playing with like those kinds of rules, yeah, and a ranger. <laughs> right. No one plays and rangers. I love rangers. I, I, know, I play rangers all the time. <laughs> uh, I mean, so many Aragorns, it's yeah. ridiculous. Well, and that's what he's saying. He's like, most of the deadly encounters are assuming you've had some medium encounters and used up a lot of that stuff. Yeah, yes. In four E, I mean, you did get worried if you like had used up all your dailies, and now all of a sudden you were in another encounter. You're like, yeah. can we rest? Can we rest ahead of time? Yeah. Right. We're gonna and take a nap and then go into the dungeon, yeah. please. <laughs> we did. Yeah, yeah, we did. I mean, and we did it like like that's so how cheating. I play. D&D. Yeah. Three, three point five. It's like you are at the last safe space before you enter the underground. Yes, long rest. Big right. sometimes. <laughs> but um, I feel uh, like yeah, um, it high stakes. In a lot of cases, like if you're playing D and D, the stakes, the story stakes are going to be a lot more important. Yeah. Than or a lot more impactful than encounter stakes being deadly or not as deadly. Um, if you're not specifically tailoring each encounter and like homebrewing a bunch of monsters mm-hmm. to fit your party super well, the really the only way to make things seem interesting to me is by controlling the environment that they are in. It's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so like slowing your fighters down in water or small corridors or darkness or 
um, negating you know the magical powers and such. So because what what makes an encounter deadly is like saying GURPS or even Traveler, where you can get one shot it, and it suddenly changes the players' perceptions and their tactics. Oh, yeah. Instead of the barbarian just <laughs> raging out and running in. People stop, and they make maps, and they say, all right, you go around here, and you go over here, and we're going to hide behind those barrels, and we're going to see if we can drop the stalactite on them, okay? Mm -hmm. That's a whole different way of playing than I rage out and run in. I'm going to use my daily. I'm going to do this. You you play differently when you know that you might actually die. Mm -hmm. You play smarter, and you and you plan, rather yeah. than just... Oh, there's a, I think there's a lot of people that plan D&D, which is why I think a lot of combats end up being cakewalks, and maybe they wouldn't be otherwise, because mm -hmm. they... Yeah. I mean, I, I, there, a lot of a lot of people who play D and D regularly, they have a party that's like a well-oiled machine, mm -hmm. and they're well balanced, and they go in, and they know everyone knows what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, it's like people doing raids and WoW or whatever. Like they're so practiced at it. Honestly, I was thinking the same thing. Where like earlier we were talking about it, um, about this question of encounters and how you go about them, and I'm like, it's like when you're playing an MMO. Yeah. And at first, everything is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about, like, people talk about this all the time, like when you're fighting rats and they can kill you at first level. And right, really EverQuest, <laughs> I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah but, you die when a rat kills you. But eventually, like, when you, once you get to the mid-game of an MMO, like, before you're doing end-game raids, where once again, everything is deadly just because it's, like you said before about your 5e mm -hmm. game, is that everything's so overpowered, that when you get to that middle zone... You just slash through everything. If you right. ha if you pay your character halfway decently, you're you're like they're like you're the farmer with the thresher machine just mm -hmm. yeah. churning through monsters. Yeah. So the way to keep your players engaged rather than having like something that feels super deadly every every session would be like to raise the stakes in other ways. Mm -hmm. And whether that's through like Collateral damage or just like interesting story points, time limits, stuff so like that. A hostage. Yeah, somebody mm -hmm. else who's Something in danger they're trying to save. Right. That, yeah, so those are all great ways to kind of ratchet up that tension. You Less know? monsters, more traps. Yeah. Now I wonder. I wonder if we're answering this question. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> because he's asking specifically about. Um, what sort of things make encounters seem more dangerous? Yes, and, and, and is is the perception because he says his players did feel like yeah yeah, that. but that's the thing is the perception was there, the reality wasn't. So he successfully like had enough flavor around yeah. it, right? That they weren't sure. Also, the difference between like what having a group that knows the monster manual inside out versus yeah. having a bunch of people who haven't really read it mm -hmm. makes a big difference in perceived. They don't know how many hit points the right. guy has. Right. Like right. they yeah. don't know what right. other abilities they're about to throw out. So, as a player, that's like a lot more like, oh my god, we're about to die! Yeah. I just used like you know two out of my seven spells. <laughs> <laughs> um, versus like, oh, I know that I my one swing took out half that dude's hit points. Yeah. Um, Ed from Minnesota in the chat room had a good, good suggestion. Um, the damage interpretation, uh, or make sure you're describing things. Like I'm going to kind of paraphrase what he said, but um, I, he's noticed that when I describe damage, it makes the players react more seriously. Instead of saying, you take eight hit points, you say, you dodge aside a blow that would have opened your arm. You lose eight points instead of taking that deadly blow. And things like that. So you're like ratcheting up the drama with how you're describing and how you're... You're um, kind of weaving the the vision of what's happening can really help too. Mm -hmm. It's a great suggestion. Thank you. Thanks, Ed from Minnesota. Yeah, to Minnesota. Be fair. Yeah. To be fair. <laughs> Someone type "to be fair" in the chat room, and everyone's typing yeah. "to be fair." <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. But yeah, Ben, if your players are already sweating it, and you're thinking that it yeah. should be easy, then it sounds like you're doing your. I don't really think it's job. broken. Mm -hmm. I don't know why yeah. you're trying to fix Maybe it. Maybe you should write in and tell us what you're doing, so we can yeah. share your wisdom. There you go. <laughs> other people. That's it. <laughs> yes. All right. That's it. Mm -hmm. uh, where's my thing? Anything else? Any any other things? Anything we need to mention? Um, we should mention that we are doing our next Rainbow Railroad tra charity drive coming up in January. Yep. Yay. So that's coming up. We're going to start really like pushing that out. We're going to we're getting lots of prizes in. We're going to organize it. Um, that's going to be happening January. It's a twenty four hour stream. Uh, it's January twenty fourth and twenty fifth. So we start on Friday night with the Friday show. Go straight on through until <coughs> the next day, Saturday night. It's a yep. bunch of games at four hour slots, right? Got, four yeah. hour mm -hmm. slots. Got to dust off my tuxedo. Yep, it'll be great. So uh, get ready for that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's very exciting. Be aware. Oh, and uh, you, know, you want to mention the that we're going to be one of the prizes will be Orcon. 
Oh, yes. Slots. Well, one of the things that we're going to do, um, <coughs> we realize a lot of you are far away and we love you, but we pro- you probably can't make it to California. But some of the, we're going to have a lot of different prizes, but one of the prizes will be um, slots in the games at uh, Strategic Con that, at we Con that we stream. So you'll be able to do that. Um, <coughs> and it'll be very exciting. So Yeah, so yay. if you want to come play with us, like, we, yeah. uh, you know. It's in February. February 14th. 15th, 16th, and 17th in uh, it, at the Hilton LAX. LAX. Also, stay tuned. There's a bunch of new games coming down the pike from yeah. all of us. Uh, our vampire game will be starting up soon. We already mm-hmm. had uh, yeah. Session Zero for that, but there's other new games going. So stay tuned to see what we have up our yes. sleeve. Kimmy's yeah. been busy yes. organizing. Organizing. Happyjacks.org slash shows. All the shows. Yep. Yay. I can't play it. Excuse me, sorry. Oh my god, Canada, Canada hates Please us. Please don't give me a one-star review because <laughs> I accidentally burped. For fuck's sake. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for Season 25, Episode 18 of Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. My name is Kimmy. I'm Pooja. I'm Stu's dog. <laughs> and we'll leave you with a song. The show won't start a time awake, won't be in vain. For the host will drink and gather on till no Skillful game master, oh, guide us well with yes, ending to avert a disaster. Whether fate or curse or millions of apocalyptic acts, fellow listeners and every host will always have our
bunny berets where the sun shines bright on Loch Lomond, where me and my true love were once again on the bunny bunny banks of Loch Lomond. Oh, you take the high road and I'll take the Bum, 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 bum.